This morning I want to start a new study. I don't know how long it will take. We'll stay on it until, until we're finished. One text, one passage every week from the same passage. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read verses 10 through 20. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul speaks here of the evil day. Well, there's evil in every day, in every age, in every culture, evil is always with us and will be with us until Christ returns. But he seems to be thinking that there are times when, when evil gives the appearance of prevailing, when evil seems to be gaining ground, when persecution breaks out against the church, when efforts, overt efforts are made to oppose the truth of God, to suppress it, to shove it aside. He talks about putting on the full armor of God in the evil day and having done everything to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand in the evil day. I want to talk about standing in this day, this evil day. It's not that everything's evil. There is so much for which we give thanks. God is always a good God. And God's blessing on our lives is real. His blessing on our church, on our community, even on this nation, in the world. God is always a good God and is pouring out his gifts. And I don't want to be among those who, who thinks that, oh, today is so terrible. If only we were back in the earlier days. Pick your time this imaginary golden age somewhere in the past. I don't want to be in that group. But I also don't want to be naive to what we see happening today in our world because what we see is 
a manifestation of evil that is so shocking and so troubling and so threatening to Christians who would live out their faith that we need to take very seriously what Paul says here about standing and putting on the armor of God. I could detail out lots of things. I really don't need to. You know the sorts of things that I'm talking about. And I often feel like when I start detailing things out, what I don't say gets filled in by what people hear from other sources, and pretty soon I'm being quoted for saying all kinds of things I didn't say. But it isn't hard. You can see this turn against the Christian faith in the entire West, but certainly in the United States. You certainly see it. Much of it goes around radical gender ideology. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about someone who's attracted to the same sex and is trying to work out their life, trying to figure out how they're going to go forward in their life, that, that is an issue, a very serious issue that many people, certainly people who are in this room, deal with. And I'm not wanting to weaken the hands of anyone who's trying to move forward with God, finding themselves in that situation. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about those who have gender dysphoria, people who are deeply uneasy about their own sexuality, who feel that I have the body of a male, but I, I don't feel like a male, or vice versa. I'm not talking about that. People in that situation, there are people, very small number, but there are people who suffer from gender dysphoria, and Christians of all people ought to be gracious and kind and, and seek to be redemptive in every way that we can. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about a, rand, a radical gender ideology that's being used to push a value system that could not be more antithetical to that that is set out in the Christian faith. And with a drift toward authoritarianism in our government, more and more it gets enforced, and it will continue to be enforced. And so it is a looming threat that infiltrates uh, into schools and into the courts and into many other areas of life. But it's not just that. It's not just that. I suppose it's not surprising, tragic, shocking in one sense, but in another way, not surprising at all that people that would advocate for violence against children in the womb would resort to violence in order to protect their freedom, to perpetrate that violence. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that someone who thinks it's acceptable to dismember a child and suck it out of its mother's womb would think it's okay to threaten Supreme Court justices or to, to spread foul slander against Christians and Christian churches who have the audacity to challenge such an action. 
I don't have to stop there. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. You already got the idea. You know what I'm talking about. There is this, this open turning against the faith, and it's entered into the political sphere, and it's becoming ever more aggressive. It's not a matter of live and let live. It's a matter of you are going to accept, embrace, conform to what we say you're going to conform to. And so what must Christians do in a day like that? In a day like that, Christians must put on the armor of God and stand. We have to stand. That's what Paul's making clear here. What's behind these sorts of things? When you see evil mount up, and, and, and push forward. What is behind it? Well, Paul says, Paul says you've got rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces. Now, that language is not unique to Paul or even the New Testament. Jews spoke of spirit beings throughout the world. So did the pagans. This was, this was commonly accepted in Paul's day. Paul takes up that language and he affirms it to the extent that, yes, such powers exist, but he sucks all the superstition out of it. Because in the ancient world, you had lots of superstitions around demons and devils and all the rest. Paul sucks all of that out of it. And in a profound way, he talks about how spiritual forces are at work in the visible world. If you actually go through all Paul's letters and read them very, very carefully when he talks about these powers, and also when he talks about the so-called elemental spirits, the stoicheia in Galatians, for example, the way Paul sees it is Every individual and every human institution has an outward aspect. You see what is done. You see the choices that are made. But there's an inward aspect at all as well. It is a spiritual aspect. That spiritual aspect of everything that's done by individuals and in a culture, that spiritual aspect has to do with ideas and ideals. Beliefs, convictions, it has to do with, with ambitions, with desires and wants. There are all these sorts of unseen motivators at work on that spiritual plane. And then it shows itself in life. And what Paul says in this passage is our battle as Christians is not against flesh and blood. And of course, when he says that, this is a man who had been beaten with rods, a man who had been stoned and left for dead, a man who had been slandered and persecuted everywhere he went preaching the gospel. This was a man who had enemies, flesh and blood enemies. But what he says is this, Ultimately, our battle in the Christian church is not against flesh and blood. Ultimately, our battle is not against the abortionist, for example. Ultimately, our battle 
is against the spiritual powers that are at work. All the the outcroppings of that power that we see, well, those are significant things, but you can attack those and not deal with the underlying issues. So he says, ultimately, it's a spiritual battle. Now, that doesn't mean Christians shouldn't be involved in flesh and blood things. And let me, let me just say that, because in our day, we are Christians, yes, but we are also citizens. We are Christians, and we are Christian citizens, and we have a responsibility to work for the betterment of society. And so God may call you into the public arena in order to try to work good in that arena. It may be politics. It may be in some legal field. It might be in education. Who knows what it might be? But yes, God calls us into that. But you can, you can it's, like, it's, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You can pass a law, you can pass a law that says, you know what? You can't give powerful puberty blockers to children. You cannot do that. That isn't gender-affirming care. That's child abuse. You can't do that. You can pass that law, but everything that, that caused this practice to come out in the first place is still there. It's still seething underneath, and it pops out. You pass a law there, and you got something over here, and you got something over there. There's, there's, there's only so much you can do on that level. We need to do it. Don't get me wrong. We need to do it. But we can't only do that. There's a spiritual battle. So it, and we, when you look at our culture, the spiritual battle, it shows itself in so many ways. All those ideas and ideals and beliefs and, and convictions and desires and all the rest, they show themselves in school curricula and university curricula. Shows, himself, shows itself in law, in government policy, in corporate policies. It shows itself in popular media, in the movies, in the music, on social media. It, it shapes people. So dealing it on that level is very important, but we also have to deal on the deeper level, which means nothing, and I mean nothing is more important than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ being the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice Paul doesn't say anything here when he talks about spiritual warfare about the church attacking anyone. You notice there's a defense going on. He's talking about simply being a Christian, living out that life, doing the good that is appropriate to what Christians do, but then facing the fact that there will be attack and you have to be ready for it and you have to be ready for the spiritual nature of it. Does that make sense? Now, what I want to do in this series over the next number of weeks is I want to talk about this armor of God. I want to talk about what Paul says. It is quite profound. And if we stop and, and meditate on pieces of it. Week by week, I think you'll see it applies in very important ways to how we live our lives today. 
But before I even get there, there are three general points I'd like to make, just almost by way of introduction to the whole series. You could call them three imperatives. If we take seriously what Paul says here about spiritual warfare, how do we engage in it? The first thing that I think we would say, the first imperative is don't hate. Don't hate. There's hate everywhere, including people who hate everyone that they think hates. It's everywhere. Rage and hatred everywhere. What this passage tells us is that there are powerful forces at work that shape people, that, that warp their perspective, that drive them in different directions, spiritual forces. Those individuals who are part of the things that we find troubling are also themselves, in a certain degree, victims, victims of powers they don't even understand. When you, when you think about someone who may stand for something that is deeply antithetical to Christian faith, you're also thinking about someone who God loves deeply and someone for whom Jesus Christ died. So it's absolutely essential that we not be haters. Now, the world might call us that when we're not, but let it be a slander. We must not hate. Paul says, don't overcome evil with evil, because if you do, of course, you're overcome by evil. Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And so in everything that we do, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, this is a very unusual kind of warfare because we love those who may very well hate us. Don't hate. The second thing I would say is don't fret. How often we wring our hands and we think, oh, what's going to happen? The devil's winning. And, and I feel for parents, I feel for parents with their young children thinking what kind of world they're going to be in. I'm not, I'm not judging them for being concerned. They ought to be concerned. But, but, but let's not forget whom we serve. Let's not forget that Jesus Christ crucified is also the resurrected, that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns. So much so that though he gives certain latitude to those who would do evil, he turns even their evil into the fulfillment of his plan. He's done it again and again and will do it yet again because he is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. Look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 15. Would you put it up? The end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He's thinking about these same powers we read about in Ephesians. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, he's reigning, but all enemies are not yet under his feet. 
but they will be. The spiritual powers of which we speak will be destroyed and the kingdom of God will come. And we must not give satisfaction to the devil by obsessing over the works of evil, but instead we should announce the goodness of our God, believe in the power of our God, and be confident as we stand for him, even in the evil day. That's absolutely crucial. Do not hate. Do not fret. And equally, do not yield. Paul says four times, Stand, put on the whole armor of God so that on the day of evil, having done everything, you may stand. And that's what we must do. We must stand for our God in this day, not back down an inch, not back away, not bargain as so many people are want to do today. They want to maintain their Christian commitment, but wherever it's going to cause some stress, any place that might cost them, they'll negotiate that. Maybe it's not so important. Trying to ease their way into the good graces of the world. Let me tell you, you can't ease your way into the good graces of the powers of darkness that are at work. You cannot do it. This is a a proxy war that's being fought. Remember when the U.S. and the Soviet Union would have wars around the world, but they weren't fought directly. It was through other nations. It was indirect. And so what you have are all these proxy wars going on between God and the devil, and there's no compromise there. Jesus calls us to follow him. And in one place where Greg Crowd is, is following, he says, you're going to have to decide. You have to take up your cross and follow me if you're going to be my disciple. And then he says, that means counting the cost. Who is it who's going to build a tower, he says, that doesn't first sit down and figure out how much does it cost before he gets started? Because if he doesn't do that, he might pour the foundation, then not be able to finish the work. And everyone's going to laugh him to scorn. There are too many people there are too many people who don't count the cost of Christianity. And they start out okay, but then there's a price. And then uh, they're not so sure. Well, you know, I'm not some fundamentalist, is how it'll be put. And there's all sorts of compromises that creep in. No, no, no. We must stand. So Russia invades Ukraine, and we have President Zelensky, such a high-sounding title, President Zelensky. Do you know what Zelensky did before he was president? He was a comedian. He was a comedian. He even did a movie, I understand, about uh, a comedian becoming president. Many people... <laughs> Many people saw his candidacy as more clowning. And there was the attitude among a lot was, you know what, look at, look at the leaders we've had. This clown could do as well as anybody else, and they voted him in. Isn't that interesting? So 
So he gets, in, he gets into office, and he has no experience, and there are lots of challenges there, and, and his popularity is tanking. I think it was down to like 25% approval rate. That's pretty low, 25%. So here's this clown at 25% approval rating, and Russia invades Ukraine. And this clown who didn't know how to run the country nevertheless knew one thing. And he said it publicly. He said to the Russians, you will see our faces and not our back. And when the United States government said, let us evacuate you out of Kiev to keep you safe. We'll give you safe passage. His response was, the battle is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. And the whole world, the whole world sat up and took notice. Here was a man, not a man of high standing, not some great man who has always impressed us. Here's a clown who, when it really counts, and the enemy's coming against him, says he is going to stand and his people will stand. He says, I'm here. My generals are here. The government is here. And the people rallied around him. And cowardly leaders from around the world looked on and thought, wow, wow, President Zelensky. Let me tell you something. You may not think of yourself as much of a Christian. You may not be a great Christian. I mean, you may find it hard to, to pray, to read your Bible. You struggle with some besetting sin, and again and again and again, you're saying, God, forgive me for the same thing over and over again. And you think, you know, I don't really do a whole lot. I, I come to church sometimes. I mean, you know... You're looking at yourself and you're saying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I fail a lot. You're not a great Christian. But let me tell you something you can do, mediocre Christian. On the evil day, when people want to abandon Christ because the price is too high and the scorn is too great, on the evil day, you can stand. And having done all to stand, you can remain faithful to Christ, not ashamed of him. He wasn't ashamed to die naked on a cross for you and me. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. I'm not a great Christian, but I'm going to stand. And I don't care what the world says or what the world does or what lies it perpetrates. I don't care if everyone says, oh, yes, I love the emperor's new set of clothes. I can see there's no clothing there. I can see it and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord. And you can do the same. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
you have given everything to us through Jesus Christ. We know that, and we thank you for that. And what we pray now is that you would, you would draw us, Lord, into your presence and give us strength to stand. Lord, we want to be faithful to you, whatever the cost, faithful to the truth, whatever the cost. That's what we desire. We pray you'd work that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? And as we turn our hearts to the Lord, God may be dealing with you in some area. Maybe you are not a believer, but you know this. You know that what the world has on offer isn't going to get you anything. It hasn't brought you any peace, any happiness, any satisfaction, nothing. And you're ready to leave it behind and follow Jesus. Or you might have some concern. I mean, in your own life, it may be somebody you're really concerned about. You see them off the off the course. You know, sometimes it just helps to have somebody take your hand and pray with you, just agree with you. That's why the crosses, you want to pray and receive Christ. You want to pray for yourself, for a friend, whatever it is. As we sing, you make your way to the crosses on either side of the room. People are there to pray with you.